sorry, you said it's the nihilism simulator makes you think about artificial and genuine nihilism mm. or oh this is this this nihilism has been simulated it's, it's the splenda version of nihilism <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the com- computer generated right. nihilism no no it's real <laughs> my name is nathan pletta i'm a game designer self-publisher and graphic artist my name is will hindmarch i'm a writer narrative designer graphic designer and game designer what are we talking about on the design games podcast this week will We're going to take a chance this week, Nathan, and see if we can successfully talk about resolution systems again, this time from the notion of success and failure in game design. Systems in which you roll a a crit or an explosion. Yeah. And then you check to find out. So like, actually in this case, the example, one of the examples is Arch Magica, where you roll a number. And if you get that number, then you roll the die again and you double that number you got. Okay. That's too many steps in my opinion. It always Mm -hmm. has been. But what it means is that, so I roll a zero or a one or it's a zero, I think in Arch Magica. And you say, great. So double, so you don't get zero, double what you roll instead. I'm like, okay, cool. So when I roll a one on that second die, Mm -hmm. I feel not only like I just got two lousy points out of it total because I double a one to two, but like I threw away a grand opportunity to be super awesome and roll a nine. Right. So it's actually worse than just rolling a two. Right. If you just rolled a two in the first place. Right. I would be, then you it don't would be feel no like, deal. right. It would just be whatever. No one would even notice. Yeah. But if you get the potential to do really well, but then you blow that as well. Correct. Then, and then I failed twice. worse yes. than, than just rolling a two in just the first place. Just rolling a two in the first place. Than just the I'd worst agree. possible roll in the first place. Uh, so in other words, just so we're clear, all damage in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, that's correct. Right. Where I roll a 19 on the d20 or even a crit. Mm-hmm. Okay, now roll now roll double the damage dice. Right. Okay, well, those are all ones. Yeah. Because that's how that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've rolled dice before. I know how this works. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've all seen that or done that or, or been on the end of that where it's like, all right, right I, I critical success, one damage, right? And it's like. Yeah. How how critical was that success? Yeah. Again, we have the information is at odds. So that was a great. Mm-hmm. That was a big success, I guess. Mm-hmm. Except that you I have no really way to prove well. that it was. But what does that mean without damage? Right. You hit him really well, but it doesn't hurt him. Yep. Because we got a lot of that in in the damage system in the New World of Darkness. Oh, I'm sure. People yeah. writing about how there's no two hit roll, there was just a damage roll. Yeah. And how unrealistic it was. Right. And like, first of all, it's all unrealistic. It, right. Like, two hit and damage are mm-hmm. both unrealistic. That's not that's not actually how one models the passing of a steel object through the body of another human being. Yeah. That's not how that works. I mean, I like that New World of Darkness, and I continue to like it in my favorite OSR variant which is into the odd which where you don't roll the hit you just roll damage yep. and then there's a whole kind of economy about uh there's armor which just reduces damage but then also there's a whole thing about doing stuff to give yourself an advantage or cause disadvantage on your opponent and that makes your damage die bigger or smaller which i find really interesting um it sounds really satisfying actually yeah yeah it's good it, it has the same so for me like this is staking out very clear like for my play preference territory it is still very possible for for combat to be grindy in the sense of like if there's a lot of hit points on on one or both sides and the d10s and d12s are still only rolling two right and you're rolling low damage for some reason or someone has high armor and there's only so many ways you can like do creative fun things to give advantage etc you know after like two or three rounds of a combat i'm kind of like all right let's 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 see what the the, the math is saying you guys will win eventually you know like that kind of thing So it doesn't alleviate that, but it does condense it down to only taking 10 minutes instead of taking 45 minutes. And even if it's still grindy, it sounds like there's, there is still less heartbreak because there's, there are fewer roll rounds, turns in which nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I I roll to find out if anything even takes place on my turn. Well, that's that's the thing. You can always do damage. You might roll low on your damage die, but like 
you can you can you're always going to do damage and then if you're taking in an action to give yourself an advantage like oh i'm going to jump on its back and pry up its armor plate so that my friend can get their trident in there right you might fail on that roll because that is a, a stat check um so that's the only that's where like any whiffs might occur but that's a risk that you take on mm-hmm. at the moment of your turn as opposed to the moment of character creation which right. is interesting <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I will so now then what is so what is a failure then in that damage system like what does it feel like when you roll a one or a two on damage it's kind of like uh yeah yeah but it's it's not but really it like something took place like so you're usually doing like a d6 or a d8 depending on your weapon and then if you have advantage you do d12 uh and if you have disadvantage you you do d4 so if rolling a one on that 12 is the same thing as like getting a crit, but then right. but then blowing the damage roll where it's like, oh, I had the chance to do so well. But it, but you're always going to do that one damage if you have the advantage. Now, does, does, I haven't played it yet. So does Into the Odd have any process for the underdog? If I roll that D4, there are no exploding dice or big modifiers coming no. from someplace. There's no, I have no chance of... So in other words, if I have three hit points left and the monster has 12 mm-hmm. and the best die I can get is a D4... Right, and you know they do D8 damage because he's already hit you a couple times and that's what the DM is rolling. Right. Yeah. Then the miracle is gradual, which is to say it has to roll... If it misses... If it rolls two ones, I have a chance at this. Right. In that case, you'd run away. Right, right. Like, that's the... Yeah. There's no... There's no, like, meta points or, or like, exploding dice or anything. I mean, you have, contextually, you might have something. Like, you can have Arcana, which is which are, like, weird magical items. There's no spells. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no wizards as such. It's um, this kind of, uh, the, the, the setting for it is, is kind of this Powder Age, slightly steampunky, late medieval yeah. pastiche. So you might have, like, a musket, or you might have, like, fire bombs or something. Uh, and then you might have this Arcanum, which is this, like, mysterious artifact of the world from before and what it does at character creation actually to yeah. counter your quip about character creation which is apt but in this game it actually addresses that because if you start with um low stats there's a matrix when you make your character you you have three stats and you roll dice and you get your stats and you roll a d6 for your hit points so you have three stats and you have hit points and you have this matrix and you can compare your highest stat to your hit points and the box on the matrix is your starting equipment so if you have low stats, you start with Arcanum and, and muskets and stuff like that. If you have high stats, you start with like a dagger and like two copper pieces. So there's a character creation actually does this rough balancing job of saying like, if you're more likely to, sur- to survive fights, you don't need all this stuff. If you're less likely to survive fights, here's the stuff you start with, uh, which makes for interesting dynamic out of the box. Right. Kind of. I mean, in, in a very, play. in a very, you know, in an almost totally abstracted way, for just from hearing it and, and outside of the setting. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is what it does is, is it makes reliability a thing mm-hmm. based on those early rolls, which is to say that technically speaking, your roving blade with a dagger and two copper and, mm-hmm. and your misbestatted, fofford esque skinny guy with all this stuff. At the beginning, they're, like you say, kind of, they're a little bit balanced out somewhat. Mm-hmm. But the question is, am I going to misspend the resources that I right. have yeah. as the little guy? Which is interesting because it doesn't, again, it's not about power balance. It's about power dynamism, right? And yeah. presumably, how much do stats change in the game? Not a lot. Like, okay, you yeah. can gain levels and gain, like, one or two points. But they're, like, they're D&D stats. So it's, yeah. like, if you have, you know, a 12, that's okay. If you have, like, a 15, you're doing pretty good. Like, that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. How much does the player have to be on guard to get the same effect as the guy who rolled better at the mm-hmm. beginning? And the, and I like that the question isn't, it doesn't matter. But the question also isn't, there's nothing you can do. 
Yeah. Right. It makes it creates that that interstitial I mean, space, which says, very, "Hey, if you're if you spend yeah. those fire bombs just right, if you use your mm-hmm. cannon just right, you guys are going to be you're fine." Right. Oh, and there's also a thing of like your if your character dies, like the other guy can pick up your fire bombs that you didn't use. Right. Like that's all right, you know. And you just roll up a new guy to to come join the party. It's kind of the the mode of play. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a level of at least when I've played as a player, there's definitely a level of like. All right, how are we going to use, like, you have the firebombs and you have the musket and everyone else has swords. So how can we use those things to deal with this mutated pig beast that has, you know, a high armor? So just hitting it with our swords is not doing too well. Right. Slow-mo versus instant failures, Mm. right? Again, the success-failure question being one of, there's the question of whether or not I successfully hit a beast or hit or deal a damage or hit a monster or deal a damage or whatever it is. Mm. Then there's the question is whether or not we win the fight. Right. And then there's the question of things like, you know, at what cost did we win the fighter or mm-hmm. do we level up or whatever. But so there are degrees of failure, not just in the moment. Yeah. But well, over time, how long does it take you to fail is a question I, I ask myself more and more often mm-hmm. in an RPG now. Well, it's kind of like a, there's a micro and a macro yeah. and a meta level of this question, which sometimes relates to how granular your resolution is, right? Like these examples, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons kind of example of very granular swing of the sword resolution failure is addressed in a different way than it is in a game where you make one roll to determine how the scene goes if i'm fighting the dragon and i miss 30 percent of the time but the 70 percent of the time that i hit is what we need to win the fight that's different from we're playing 10 scenes of a game and mm-hmm. in three of them i completely blow it and the other seven i get what i want and just to take it into the micro a little bit if it's 10 rolls to kill a dragon and we miss three of them but the seven we got is enough versus if we have six players of D and 30 percent represents 30 rolls <laughs> yeah that's a very different experience than, right yeah than, than 10 rolls than right. 10 rolls or three rolls or whatever it is yeah it's funny because there's there's two kind of vectors for this, right? One is the mechanical, statistical, probabilistic idea of like, how do you determine what is a success or what is a failure? What, what numbers go mm-hmm. into that or what other factors? And the other, which I think we've been talking about kind of so far, is like, how does it feel when you fail? Whatever condition creates the failure. Is failure manageable? Is it something that completely stops you in your tracks? Is it just like these little speed bumps? Is it already built into your expectation of play? Is it is it still propulsion or is it a setback? Right. Yeah. yeah. And like and then the idea of failing forward, right? Like which is a pretty at this point standard and I think for good reason model of how to do failure, which is like if you do not get what you want, you still something still happens that moves play forward. And it's not a nothing happens. Like the null result is is something that I think designers are better about avoiding. And I think it's interesting to just to terminology and things that we sometimes assume that we don't have to assume about some of that language mm-hmm. is that fail forward is a very narrative concept. Because we yeah. get it, we get it in fiction too, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the idea that you, fiction cannot remain inert. You cannot stop. And stand still in fiction for very long, or it's just boring. Right. And to a certain extent, that's true in a lot of games, but it's not actually an inherent mandatory property of games in the same way. No. Right. But no, I'm just it's saying, a that, choice. but that's one of those things where it comes from is the idea that if you say, uh, if I roll to pickpocket this person and if I fail, they still don't know, then mm-hmm. you just go, all right, well, so that's, you know, whatever, but why don't I just sit here all night and roll 100 times until I get the thing I wanted? Mm-hmm. 
becomes a question in part of yeah, you know, what you're modeling and not necessarily the fact that are you modeling a narrative, which is where sometimes we get it from is that there's a notion that well, yeah. I want the game to be narrative, therefore it must contain the following. Right. Success or failure styles or it must fail forward so that things keep moving. Mm-hmm. You can have very exploratory, very um, almost realistic feeling or very fantastical fairy, ter- fairy tale feeling, narrative feeling things that don't fail forward. Yeah. The question is that the only time to me when time is genuinely wasted in the engagement of a mechanism is when it literally doesn't matter if I do it or not, mm-hmm. right? right? That a setback is narratively, can be narratively satisfying. It can be ludically confounding mm-hmm. or vice versa. But the, the idea where you say, there's no reason for me not to just roll this die until it gets me the number I want, right? Which is never fun mm-hmm. to just go, I'm just going to roll until I get a 20. Right. When I get a 20, the fight will be over. Right. That's amusing once, in, mm-hmm. my, in my opinion, right? Which is, but it's also literally, because you could literally sit here all night and not roll a 20. Right. That's a waste of time. Right. Well, and then it's just the... <laughs> If the goal is to give you enough chances to roll until you get the 20, then why do we not just say you get the 20? Right, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's what I get at, that what I'm headed towards, is the idea of how we frame cost to success. Mm-hmm. Uh, an attack roll, and one of the reasons I think that D&D, for example, that we use this so often as an example of success mm-hmm. or failure, but an attack roll in D&D is one of, the only oppor- one of the only moments that is completely ironclad in the rules, and even then it's, I don't think it's actually completely, but it's ironclad in the rules that, that we know what the cost-benefit relationship is. Right. I either get to roll that die for damage or I don't. Mm. And if I don't, it has it doesn't slow down or speed up the monster's ability to roll its damage back at me. Or in 5th mm-hmm. edition, where they don't even roll, you could just say, man, if that thing hits me, I'm going to get another 10 damage. Mm. Just coming. I know it. So now it creates a, a dynamic where failure is still failing forward in a way and that something's going to happen, but it's not actually failing forward because it doesn't have the narrative connotation of this roll may not further the story, but it will not be a nothing roll. Mm-hmm. Even if I whiff, what happens is that we are now behind. Sure. The, the, yeah. the situation changes. Mm-hmm. Now that, that that can still be unsatisfying, mm-hmm. and it can still be no fun depending yeah. on the circumstances. Right. But that's one of the as opposed to an area where in D and D it's so wander around town until you hit a DC twenty intelligence check or wisdom check or whatever it is to find out this rumor so the adventure can continue. Mm-hmm. Well, just just give it to me then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what's the what's the point of right? Of, why why wouldn't I roll right. a million times until I get it? Mm-hmm. And why don't we just cut to when I did or however you want to phrase it? But mm-hmm. the framing it is still very important dramatically and mechanically because mm-hmm. if, if part of the notion is look um, for your character, we literally have to assume that you had to make that roll a hundred times to get it. So we're going to assume that you're here in this village for a week. Right. As opposed to the narrative answer, which is. Well, I'm just gonna, I'll just give you it right now in this scene, when, in the same scene when you come to town because mm. it saves time. Neither one of them is actually faster at the table. You can right. just say a week later, you finally hear blank. Yeah. But what you're, what, what you're setting up is the idea that apparently the characters didn't do something for a week. For a mm. week, he didn't do other stuff. I think on a design level, that's an interesting space to go into because then you're, start, you're talking about resource management. Yeah. In, in, in that example, the resource is, is ephemeral, is fictional time. Yeah. It's just like... Oh, a week passes, a month passes. You have to start a family here before you hear this <laughs> right. this rumor, whatever. But that could very easily be a mechanical resource. You have this much time and you can, you know, it could be deterministic, right? Like you have this stat, so it's going to take this much of your time and that's just how it is. Or, oh, you missed the roll by three. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to take a week. But if you spend this other thing, then it'll only take three days or you know, that kind of thing. Roll rumor points. And once you have 10 yeah. rumor points, you will hear the rumor. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Yeah. So, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and dramatically to it, mm-hmm. I should point out as a, as, a, as a similar metric that you can have in there, which is that, you know, so sure, you could sit here for a week to get the rumor that you need to find the sort of legendarium. But when you spend that week, the villain is spending a week doing something else. Right. Yeah. Like that's attached to yeah. 
you know, if something that has impact. If you, if you have a game in which there isn't a villain, if you don't have that narrative structure, that dynamic, mm-hmm. then we assume the whole game world is still marching along for a week, but I have no reason to suspect that this week is going to be any different than last week. There's a, a relationship between the fictional antagonism, the resources you have at your, your disposal, and like how much of a sense of, quotes, immersion in like the ongoing world and all that stuff that is is, is bound up in this idea of somehow you're going to get the thing to move the game forward. And then what are the trade-offs? If you have good stats and this specific skill, then you're all set. There's not a much of a trade-off because you already invested it earlier in the game. But if you don't, then there's this other stuff. Right. If you think about it in terms of, um, well, if you picture a heart monitor mm-hmm. and then you think about it in terms of like Ham- the way Hamlet's hit points does, which I should in full disclosure point out, I'm the publisher of that book by Robin D. Laws. So when I encourage you to go buy it, I'm not being entirely selfless. But the part of the notion in Robin's model, right, is that success and failure go up and down like the, the, the graph on a heart meter. But like on a heart meter, as long as the story or the, in this case in the heart meter, the, the patient is still alive, the meter will keep tracking to the right. That's mm-hmm. progress. Success and failure are detectable and appreciable on that chart of progress. But up and down is not better. As long as the the thing is still tracking to the right, right. That's what failing. Just in case people aren't clear, that's what failing forward is. Mm-hmm. Is not not that the monitor stops, mm-hmm. but that even if the line goes down towards failure, it's going down and to the right, mm-hmm. or up and to the right for success. It's always moving to the right to indicate we are that things are happening. Yeah. The progress is being made. I'm yeah. with you. Why have failure at all? Mm-hmm. Right. If the goal of play, kind of capital P inclusive of all kinds of experiences at the table. If the goal of play is to, you know, have an enjoyable time with your friends, have a interesting, fun experience of, of a kind that you cannot get in other parts of your life. Right. What does failure do to make that happen? Have you ever tried either on an adventure scale, anything larger to, to find out, to answer that question in actual play? I, I did once, essentially. <laughs> how, how did that go for you? I think there's a certain limited amount of fun in it, but Mm -hmm. there's not, the suspense has to come from interaction as opposed to from the volatility of success failure. So actually, so kind of a case study about this, and just because my head's been here for a while, I've recently run two games of Black Sun Death Crawl, which is essentially a OSR dungeon crawl nihilism simulator. So this is a, a, a module for, it's originally for Dungeon Crawl Classics. I ran it with Into the Odd, which doesn't really change the nature of it very much. It's mostly just the, the details of how the numbers work and stuff. But the pitch for the game is you you were someone once, but then the Black Sun came and destroyed everything that you ever knew, and you've forgotten everything that you ever know because of the, the, the rays of the Black Sun, which not only want to destroy you, want to torment you. So you and your loose confederation of other cursed as they're called, um, who have been thrown together by random chance, are digging through the earth to escape the rays of the black sun because all it does is torment you. And even even death is not an escape because the black sun will reanimate you to extend your misery. Let's play. (laughs) There is a pretty strong split between people who are like, why would you ever want to play that? And people who are like, I'm in. And and spoiler alert, there's no reveal. You die at the end. Like, everything ends at the end. The universe is destroyed at the end, basically. So there's a happy ending. So once you run out of hope, which is a resource that you have, then you can finally embrace the sweet oblivion of non-existence. But until then, even when you die, you get back up and keep going. Fucking hope. Yeah. 
I could talk for ages about this game. I think it's, if you want to have the our game's art conversation, it is in that conversation uh, for a lot of reasons, but we don't need to go into that here. The, the point is, while there's granular success and failure, you're rolling dice, you're seeing if you can, you know, fight the black thoughts, you're seeing if you can help these dwarves, you're like seeing if you can do things. The, the larger narrative is always one of misery and doom. There's no winning, except for any goals you set for yourself, like on a personal level of like, I'm not going to go down before that person goes down, or I'm going to get that shovel. I'm going to drown myself in the lake before the black sun comes. And it means that there isn't even, right, because if the game ends, if the scenario ends that way, mm-hmm. the way that it ends, it can be completed. It can yes. be won. And Correct. to a certain extent, it can't be lost because what's going to happen right. is, not, is close to fixed. Exactly. Yeah, the ending point is fixed. There's two ending points. One is is kind of optional, but the, if either of them happen, that's the end of the game. And it is written such that when you get to a certain point, the game ends. I, one could, like with anything, like one could continue. You know, you could go ahead and generate some more material and extend out the thing if you wanted to. But but yeah. So so the the whole thing is built around the exploration of this idea. And while there's there's granular success and failure inside it. The idea of one is like, what do you do when you know you're doomed? I don't know if it's, I mean, it's certainly fun in the way that like you're laughing a lot while it's happening because it's, it's, it's absurd in its single mindedness, but it, there's some, there's some significant kind of emotional stuff that can happen in it if you're open to it and interested in exploring that. Right. Yeah. A great example, right. Of, of framing what is success, failure versus completion and progress Mm -hmm. versus setbacks and forward momentum. Mm -hmm. And the relationship between them that we might have a tendency to assume or to inherit, mm-hmm. to take for granted, that are right. not taken for granted in, in this particular case. Right. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. There's a number of games where it's not about the destination, it's the journey, right? And most of them are more about, this one is, is the destination is, is, is oblivion. Uh, but there are others where, like in my Masks of the Mummy Kings, like you are always going to get through the tomb and fight a mummy king at the end. In that sense, you are always going to be successful, but each character has their own little goal that they may or may not get because there's a lot of randomness as to the resources that you end up getting and whether you can use them to get the treasure that you're looking for and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of an abstract success, like for, like I asked before, what is, what is one yeah. success? Mm-hmm. Or for example... If the characters can only succeed at what the stuff they can think of or the actions on this list, mm-hmm. it's not that you necessarily fail at actions on this list. It's just that there's no button for them, mm-hmm. right? So consider the idea where, oh, everybody succeeds all the time because things will always happen. If you say I sword fight this person, you will successfully lure them into a sword fight. And if your thing is I will slay them in a sword fight, then you will slay them in a sword fight. And if their thing is I will slay them in a sword fight, then everybody's going to die, mm-hmm. right? Well, did we just create a failure out of nothing but successes? <laughs> right? Everybody's <laughs> sure, dead now. Yeah, and, but yeah. so th- that's where the interactions become a question of, I mean, if they're all terrible people and we in the audience and we as players are both audience and, and facilitators and factors mm-hmm. are saying, oh, I'm so glad our characters died, um, then great or whatever. But uh, uh, all successes is still as an abstract concept. Well, I have 10 successes. I can spend them out over, the, over 10 actions in the game and do whatever I want. Is such a gamer concept. Right. And not not to say that it has that it is false or that it has no value, but it is a thing that we can frame and re, re, repostulate and rearrange in lots of ways, mm-hmm. which is why games that count on a player to be excited about more successes than fewer successes on dice always fascinate me because I always want to go, well, what is the scale then? What does three successes look like? So I got three yeah. instead of two. Why do I care? Why don't yeah. I just use the two one? When, like, how is that better? 
when I've done games that, that have that, you're trying to get some number of successes. And I often discover for myself just kind of the way that I tend to design that kind of system that it's easy for me to say, all right, this is what one means mm-hmm. and this is what two means and, and this is what three means, say. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, how many more degrees can I really get in here? Right. And then if the function of the mechanic ends up giving you a bunch, then it's like, okay, though. so then do you say like, all right, one to three successes means this. Mm-hmm. And then it's in that like, so there's no difference between two and three. It's like, no, not really. And what you're doing there, I think, is you're losing opportunities because like we've talked before with dice, like the fact that they can be so granular gives you so many places to interact with other parts of your game. Yep. That's a trade-off that, that you may have to face. I think you're absolutely right about when you say that what you're losing is opportunities. Sometimes an opportunity unclaimed is is a small price to pay to have something else work. Like to say right. two and three successes are the same thing in this game. It's fine. Maybe that means that I'll think of an idea in eight months after the game is out and I'll put a thing, I'll put out an expansion or a thing on the internet that says, hey, but that third success, if you want, you can do this thing. Mm-hmm. Because the opportunity kind of never goes away unless you filled it with something that's terrible. But so embracing opportunities where they arise like that, mm-hmm. I'm dealing with a, 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 well, sort of with always never now and with systems that are similar, uh, what happens when you have a bunch of successes and it's like, well, you know, so I, I rolled six, seven, eight, nine, ten successes and there's only three hit points of dudes here. Right. Well, you come I do right yeah. and that's a, a thing where you can kind of look at like why do you have that many dice right and it's kind of like because you're trying to model this certain probabilistic outcome right like more dice makes it more likely that you know a skilled person has more dice because it's more likely that they will do well but if doing well is just beating the other person's number of successes then right there may be other ways to model that right exactly and so that, that creates to me the situation where if the dice are escalating or they are producing results that are enormous when you don't need enormous numbers mm-hmm. either you want to think about how can you create I want to say meaningful, but that's such a slippery term, but meaningful rewards for numbers that otherwise have no value. So for example, yeah. like if you say that a second, because because the numbers might signal the go ahead or the opportunity to tell players to fill the space with a certain level of creativity. Right. It could become a dare. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's you like know. you got 10 successes. Yeah. So what happens? So yeah. yeah. And, and give me a sense. Go you, crazy. You can do literally anything but blow up the moon because mm-hmm. you need 11 successes to blow up the moon or whatever it is, right? Or games where I used to have a, a rule in D&D, for example, where if you had a critical hit, then you just tell me what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, one of the reasons I stopped it, that I don't do it that way anymore, but is because people would dread a, a critical hit in certain circumstances because they'd be like, I used up my great description on the last 10 orcs we fought. Right. I don't want to be put on the spot for another mm-hmm. orc decapitation that I can't describe in a cool way. Well, sometimes that doesn't sync up, Yeah. right? Like that actually happened in um, relatively recently in a game of, uh, worldwide wrestling I was running where in the expansion there's a set of what I call mythic moments which is basically it's like the advanced moves in, in Apocalypse World yeah. where like if you roll a natural 12 basically then you get this extra stuff. Great. It's an option and you have to spend all your momentum which is a character resource to do it. Someone actually very intentionally during a match narrated a kind of like middle of the road sequence to set up something else like mm-hmm. to kind of bring it down before bringing it back up and then nailed the roll. And it was the first time we've had we've had one happen in this entire game. And we'd actually been talking about like, no one is rolling these 12s. We're never going to see these. He rolls it and just kind of goes like, you know, that's not an exciting enough moment to do this, even though this is our first chance to do it in three sessions of play. Mm-hmm. And we're all kind of like, yeah, you're right. You narrated yourself just sliding out of the ring. That's not a mythic thing, even though you in the story of the match, it, it's exactly what it needed at that time. That's what that those dice are telling you. But right. the option to be like, or I can make this incredible. He's like, no, 
I, this doesn't need to be incredible. My incredible thing is coming next, which he did not roll, you know, the 12 for, but, um, What's interesting yeah. is, is to me, that's like a success. And I've seen this a little bit in games where I do uh, adventure by adventure stuff, but never on a systemic level. What makes me think is the idea of um, old fantasy adventure rule, which is that when you, when you, when the hit, when the dice indicate your character is dead, your mm-hmm. character will die. Not at that moment necessarily, because that could be unsatisfying. Sure. But your character is a, a dead soul now. They mm-hmm. are going to die. They have seen their death. But it's almost the opposite, which is, so is there anything I can bank off of that? <laughs> right? Do I get a thing? Mm-hmm. The, if the idea is, and this isn't the case in, in worldwide wrestling, but in the mm-hmm. case like where, you know, we, we want to think that in the course of, a, of an adventuring career or of a, of a wrestling career or of a fighter pilot's tenure, mm-hmm. that they will get a certain number of 20s on the 20, on the D20. Yeah. Right? So that if you ever do, and it's in the wrong time, Rather than the player being penalized for that, mm-hmm. can I bank it? Not necessarily as a success, but like, can I do something really awesome description-wise with that later? Well, this is one of the things I love in Gumshoe, mm-hmm. for example, is mm-hmm. where one of the things that you that you can do with the with the edges that you get, as opposed to success or failure, is you can say you can write you can narrate a little thing about how skillfully your character reloads and get points back. Right, right. And you can pre-write that mm-hmm. and bring it and say, okay, I need points. I planned for this, and you read a paragraph or two sentences, whatever it is, about how. That you're kind of getting inspired by, you know, uh, an action movie, how your character mm. reloads off the the thrumming engine of the motorcycle or whatever it is and, you know, slams the clips into his gun and goes mm. to town on the bad guys. Gumshoe is great at sliding that stuff around in that yeah. way. Not, not every game is, but that's what that's kind of my immediate thought is that I can get, rather than saying, okay, so what does a really great amplified version of this moment look like right. versus do we just let it disappear? Mm-hmm. In some cases, success and failure lead that rhythm, that like great thing happens, setback, great thing happens, kind of the heartbeat that you're talking about. And other times the player feeling or the table sense or the narrative positioning of like, this is what needs to happen now. This is what's satisfying to happen now is actually what leads that heartbeat and like the mechanical success and failure might actually follow mm-hmm. like sometimes the mechanical success and failure leads the player intention and the fictional events and sometimes the fictional events and player intention lead the mechanical success and failure this, this is very much actually where the statistically kind of unremarkable but i think as an expressive versus deterministic system mm-hmm. a, a reasonable hybrid of storium why i built it the way i did the parts that I built. In Storium, you get a certain number of success cards, a certain number of failure cards, and more successes is bigger successes, and you can work as a group, and certain challenges take a certain number of successes to turn out for the best, but they take a certain number of cards to fulfill for sure. So if all the players Mm -hmm. play failures, you can still finish the thing and move on with the story, but it went badly. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Okay. Part of that that model is what I mean when I talk about an expressive system is that rather than waiting for the system to tell me what happens, it can do that where everybody can play in secret or something, right? And say, okay, well, we all played failure cards. Damn it. I was so sure, Doug, you were going to play all your successes on that. Shoot. Oh, right. well. Mm-hmm. It determined what happened. You can all say, look, we all know, right? This is an opportunity. This is the point when the character should fail. This is a great opportunity for a setback. Yeah. So we can model that by let's just all just ditch our setback cards. We'll just mm-hmm. go ahead and play them now and talk it out or whatever it is. And that way you're getting rewarded by having fewer of them in your hand right now. Mm-hmm. They're going away until the hand refreshes and modeling what you wanted to say, what you, how you felt it. And it's still not, it's obviously not a perfect model for all expressive systems and all deterministic systems, but it's one that is specifically designed to straddle the line. Mm-hmm. 
um, in that same way. And I do think more and more, as I think about RPG play over the years, I focus on systems that are easily both steered for expressive play, even mm -hmm. if you have to override a deterministic factor to do it, which is as simple as the one where you say, well, don't roll for that. It just happens. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes that's not how that the game doesn't actually... Look, powered by the Apocalypse games are actually not super great at that. Right, yeah. You like, don't want to just skip the roll and say yeah. it happens. I mean, you can, you do it all the time, but when it's clear that you've engaged this thing, and then right. it goes, yeah, but narratively right now, it's clear that you should roll the 10. So just roll the 10. Well, that's not how that works necessarily. Right, like sometimes there's so, fuckery. I mean, and obviously, if everybody at the table makes that kind of conclusion, as we can say, then at that point, you're you're kind of intentionally again, you're hot wiring the system. You're jumping, you're jumping yeah. a fence to say, all right, we're not going to roll for it because clearly that's just what we all agree that's what has to happen. And there's yeah. a point in which, so why are we rolling anyway? Mm -hmm. We're just, but we're all we're all going to accept you get this well, ten because you built to this moment intentionally or otherwise right. so well that we all want to see that happen. There's the, I mean, in some games, there's there's the thing of you, you roll to do this stuff and you kind of just decide this stuff. Yeah. And if you don't have any pressing reason to choose one or the other, roll yeah. a die. One, two, three is bad for the players. Four, five, six is good for the players right. or whatever. Right. Like sometimes there's that kind of like flip a coin, basically kind right. of stuff. Where uh, yeah, because it's it's acknowledging that in some cases. It's not that it doesn't matter in the sense that nothing should happen. It's that it, right. it, it's that it is agnostic as to what happens as long as something happens. Exactly, right. And that's, to me, deterministic and why as the, the system is deterministic. It tells mm -hmm. us good or bad and we're happy with either result. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have an option for nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And that's again we're kind of failing forward as opposed to a setback or anything like that. Yeah, is, you yeah. know, is the is the is the issue or is the like the, the thing that's going on the yeah. model? Yeah. But what gets me is a system that can be both a little bit or deterministic when you want it and expressive when you want it. And mm -hmm. I think the thing is that we see a lot of systems that are it's much easier to make a deterministic system expressive, but not infallible. Yeah. Because what it can become is where you can say, man, that is so great. Treat don't even roll. Just treat it as, it as if it was a critical hit. Yeah. Well, now you're you've made a deterministic system expressive by saying, I have a term for what happens when you land a really great hit on somebody. It's called a critical hit. This is right. what it does. And that hooks into other things about the game. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could also in a similar system just go, all right, well, you slay the dragon. Be like, really? On his, this is the second turn of the combat. Right. He just slays it because he said these wor these magic words. Mm -hmm. I imagine that like if you if we really got into the weeds with any given game, there's both of these elements exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If for no other reason than the call of when to make a role sure. is kind of often this uh, expressive if, feature. If, yeah. If the like, system is truly analog, like, then we're truly in a human expression. It's yeah. all the whole interaction is expressive. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, but like like uh, like in Burning Wheel, one way that it's commonly I think misread, and I know this because I have tried to play it this way, and it is really super not fun, is rolling for everything that you. Th think you would roll for in D&D &D. and it, it says this pretty clearly but it's just one of those like getting over the cultural momentum of how this kind of game is supposed mm -hmm. to work is like roll for things that are important that have to do with your beliefs that are deadly that are you know there's kind of like a, a a bundle of related things that like you should roll for and then there's a, a aurora around those of things mm -hmm. that you could roll for and if you do roll for every single one of those things it's just like come on right um and you're gonna get a series not only of limiters you get on the a lot expressive of situation, but you're going to get a lot of failure. Yeah. And so now you have a deterministic cost yeah. for, for playing a system in a different, for, for trying to use it expressively or for whatever it is. And, yeah, yeah, so. and that game also has the uh, let it ride rule where you, mm -hmm. where you expressly, when you do a thing, whatever your role is, that governs the thing. So you don't have the, I'm going to roll 20 times. If you want to find out the rumors, you're going to make a circles test. And if you blow the circles test, 
actually in circles tests, there's if they, they fail forward because when you fail, you still get the basic thing you wanted, but you basically turn someone against you or someone right. like targets you now or you, you make your social situation worse. Um, not all of the skills in that game work that way, but that's how, but circles in particular do. And that's uh, Burning Wheel is a great example. I mean, what you're getting at in terms of the expressive nature of the judgment call. Yeah. When do you roll? Right. That's the thing. Yeah. The judgment yeah. call is the expressive part where it's yeah. like you have this brewery skill and that's great. You don't need to roll brewery to pull someone a beer. Right. Even if you want to grub for your check, because that's how your skills improve is you get checks because you roll on them. So that's where that tension comes in where people are like, well, I want to roll for my thing. Right. You need to get your character into situations where the skills you want to roll are relevant and important to like what's going on. So yeah, the judgment call of like, no, that's not appropriate to roll. You just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, is expressive and then when it gets to a thing where it's like all right well i'm going to poison the king's beer now like oh well maybe let's use your brewery like and so that his royal taster can't tell it's going to be considered Mm -hmm. concealed in the beer it's like all right well he he has a pretty good royal taster so it's going to be an obstacle five roll or whatever then that's deterministic like let's see how the dice do and then you have points you can spend to open up your dice and like there's all these little levers and stuff to affect that roll but then we go to see what the dice say and you do it or you don't. A lot of games, even games that have fairly, I want to say tight or rigorous dice mechanics, games like Powered by the Apocalypse, games mm-hmm. like uh, Burning Wheel, or to a certain extent, even games like Lady Blackbird and Always Never Now, but in which it's clear when when you should roll and when you when it's a judgment call, right? right. When you have the, a, a lot of guidance on that. The designer still has no way of demonstrating session to session or in the life of a career. So how many rolls seriously am I going to get? Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. And that's the reason why these crits don't mm-hmm. come because otherwise it would be like, look, if you roll, a, if you roll a 100 on D100, when that happens, mm-hmm. the king of the land dies in his sleep. Right. And you're like, okay, well, we, we went through three kings one night. Yeah. Well, I don't know how often you roll. You shouldn't. You should, you should only get that one out of a hundred rolls right. roughly. Yeah. yeah that's we, not we, how... we make 200 rolls a night. Right. But also that's not how probability works. <laughs> that's also not how probability works. Like, right, right. You, but you saying, can roll yeah. that on your very first roll of the game. Absolutely. Which is why those things tend to be, I think that they tend to be based on currencies and RPGs yeah. tend to not regard currencies more... as anything but optional in success and failure. Right. Because currencies are, well, are more by their very nature are predictable and, and measurable. Especially actually in a closed system like a game, they get very, they can get very predictable. Right. Well, I'm, yeah. yeah, talking about like you need to spend six poison tokens to kill the king right right and it's like all right how many do we have all right we need two more like right. as opposed to and you can absolutely that's almost more like adventure six, design than game design six critical successes yeah the king dies right. right and it's like we could never hit that it is conceivable we roll five. In, in this group it is conceivable that we would never hit that because right. we're only going to roll twice a week yeah for a year right <laughs> we might never get another 20 mm-hmm. This is one of the questions I get asked a lot from people who are playing the, the the beta materials and stuff for Dark. So should characters just be succeeding almost all the time? One of the things is that not only is Dark absolutely a system in which characters are, are more competent than they appear, mm-hmm. a stealth mechanic requires them to be competent. Suspense requires them to not know how competent they are. Sure, That's one of the reasons sure. it's built that yeah. way. So not know if I'm going to succeed all the time. So there are a lot of factors working against that. But you shouldn't, they don't fail terribly often and things have to conspire for them to fail. It's possible to have a shuffle work that your character's just going to win this game and you just don't know it yet, right? You just don't, and, and there's no way to find out it's to play. Um, so it has a long game success failure effect in which you go, great, the di- the cards are, the rolls are perfectly spaced out so that I'm going to get, I've got fives and sixes and sevens in there every time, mm-hmm. you know, every hand or so, I'm going to be great, no problem. So it's actually, it's a resource point driven game in which the points come in little packages on the cards. I can't spend this seven in pieces. I have to spend the whole seven together. Right, right. 
But so the, the answer is yes, characters should be very good so because it maintains the narrative control for everybody and makes it more of an expressive game when the characters are doing well. And then it becomes very deterministic when the cards get to a point where you're like, I don't want to use this too because I'll fail the action, right. but I don't want it sitting in my hand, so I've got to get rid of it. Mm. So I've got to go somewhere that I can take an action that isn't so vital and that keeps them moving around the environment. That keeps them searching rather than just going straight to the target, getting it and marching out. The cards tell them that sometimes I can't go straight to where the to the, where the treasure is because that's where the toughest guards are and I don't have the cards for that right, right now. My memory slash understanding is also that there's a visceral sense of like, oh, I have all my good cards now. <laughs> right. <laughs> which means I, I, better, I better prepare because I know I'm not going to have as good cards later or I'm getting a lot of kind of crappy cards now, but that's okay. Yeah. Because that means that my good cards are still in my deck. Right. So if I, all I have to do is get to them. Which is like, like I said, visceral player response. Um, and part of that goal is, is to yeah. separate the suspense from the success fail mechanic entire, not entirely, I should say, but so that they are not the same thing. Yeah. So that there is suspense even while the character is doing well, mm. um, which is vital to both stealth and heist and right, all that right. stuff. There's a yeah. thing I'm kind of working on right now that I actually just kind of thought about this question where the the kind of general sense of it is is a pretty typical adventure kind of mode where you're going to have a character and you're going to be doing things and you're going to be rolling dice to see how well you do on the things, you know, normal stuff <laughs> and, and, and trying to pin down though, like, what does that look like? What, like, what are the dice? You know, how many of them are going to be rolled? What are going to be like good and bad? My, my way into that for this game has been what happens when you don't roll well. And that I've kind of been working from there to figure it out. And I don't have it all together yet. But right now I'm, I'm kind of thinking about how not rolling well means that there's ripple effects of your actions that are not in your interests. Because it's about, it's also, you're in a city and it's kind of about like communities and trying to kind of advocate for institutions and neighborhoods and stuff that are, that you're part of. So succeeding at doing things should benefit your position with them or benefit them in some way. And then failure should mean that there's negative outcomes that are directly attributable to your character. That's cool. So I'm actually right now thinking about using fudge dice because then getting away from numbers and saying success failure and going to you're rolling some fudge dice and then the you know minuses and pluses are then the uh, the economy that you use to manage what comes out of the thing. I have two games that literally do that yeah. that are that are completely different Mm. games and everything except yeah. for that yeah use and this is not a new technology it. right like right, this right, is just right. like my investigation of like how do i address what i want out of this right is like maybe military fudge dice first i think it's a great i that's uh for my um a thing called adventurous which i've played at origins and and tinkered with here and there and it's mm-hmm. something i do for, to get my indiana jones tomb raider kind of vibe uh when i need it uh was the realization that essentially when i set it up so that the the, the plus faces on those dice work for the players and the minuses mm-hmm. work for the gm right and then one of the things you can do is you can say, well, I'm going to cancel some of these out so it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. But you can also say, no, you know what? You can do what you want because I got the pluses I need. I'm going to do this cool thing. Right. And you can bring it because I can take it, I think. Yeah. I think. I think. I hope. So one of the big things I think that we see here is how success and failure, besides being design decisions at both the level of design, but at the level of playcraft and how you're, inf- how you're informed. They're a great example. This is a great example of just of, of so many of these things we've talked about firing together. Yeah. The designer informing the GM how to make judgment calls, what scales mean. Mm-hmm. It, can, it can spark economies and sp- spin off into reward cycles. And So what are, what are some, some ways to think about defining what success in your game looks like mm-hmm. and what failure in your game looks like? And how do you 
decide which of that to you you make very transparent like in black sun death crawl there is no escape you're all doomed or are they more emergent things about like oh well as long as we do this cluster of things we're never going to mechanically fail mm-hmm. so is there some kind of countervailing force that makes it in our individual interests not to work together and thus make failure more apparent do you have a discrete stage in design where you're like all right what is what does uh, success and failure mean in this game or is it more emerging out of all the other things that you're already working on it's certainly not one it's not a phase that i do but i almost never let it emerge for me because it mostly because i will find that i get too entrenched in something if i wait for that to emerge i will get entrenched in other stuff that i love about the system what i will do instead is i set up success and failure in my head in terms of how either fictionally or mechanically they are arrived at as early as possible and then i just constantly throughout the design i go why why am i still using this answer mm-hmm. um and so the, what does success look like why why am i saying that why this answer and if I'm sticking with the because it's a 10 on a 10-sided die, there's only a 10% chance, be, or because it's a 10 on a 10-sided die and it's the only double-digit number and it looks good when I feel that I wasn't cool mm. to happen. Sure. But however I arrive at that answer, I double-check the answer over the course of the design and I say, okay, well, why is that good? If, th- if that's good mechanically, wow, I got a 10 or wow, I got a 1. Why is that a big deal? And why is the player going to know I think it's a big deal? Sure. How? Mm-hmm. How is it going to look? You know, what's the color on it? What's it going to feel like? How's it going to be exciting? How's it going to affect the, the setting? Will it affect the setting? I'm, I'm kind of, as you were talking, I'm kind of reflecting on my experience because my games are generally, again, with the exception of worldwide wrestling, are generally in the, it's not about the destination, it's the journey mode. So I usually can conceive of success and failure as having either specific mechanical mm-hmm. effects like a like kind of failing forward kind of stuff b like if you succeed you get what you want if you fail something that is against your interests happens but it's not just you don't get what you want right like i i, I try i generally try not to cast straight negations in my systems that have this kind of interaction because for the way that i like to play games i find that more interesting it has a trade-off, which is that when you set up the thing that you're rolling for, it generally asks the players to do a little bit more work so that there is a somewhere else to go. Mm-hmm. But I think that's worth it because then there's somewhere else to go. Right. And then casting as a success and failure, I think is psychologically important in the sense of uh, it very clearly telegraphs like, this is good for you, this is bad for you, this is in your character's interests, this is against your character's interests. But it could be cast as some other words that I don't have words to, to I was make gonna, right I now. was going to say that the whole, the whole, the jargon that we use success and failure it's for so can ingrained. be recast. It's so ingrained, right? But, it, yeah. but, but even in games in which, what we mean is, did you succeed or fail the role, not the act necessarily? Did right. you fail a character? Yeah. Did you fail in the mission, right? Or, but right. that failure is often as a term ingrained in a way that even the concept of you're like, oh, it's a role and if you succeed, you, you kill the traitorous duke and if you fail, you kill the traitorous queen. But either uh-huh. way, they're both traitors and one of them's going to die. Right. And you go, well, wait a minute. So why is that fail? You go, it's not. It's just a dice are telling us what happened. It's just like <laughs> we need a way to distinguish like. I mean, the word outcome is something that I use, yeah. but it's also, you could just say there are multiple outcomes. It's, well, or mm-hmm. for that matter, even just the tertiary system of things like Powered by the Apocalypse mm-hmm. and the, the quadrilineal system of World of Darkness and mm-hmm. stuff or whatever, but that have those metrics that say, even though, you know, crits mm-hmm. in success or failure, but the systems that suggest the idea that there is an, an exciting ground between outright success and outright failure. Right, yeah. yeah. There's a spectrum of success or, yeah. or whatever. One of the things you were making me think is one of the questions I know I ask is, 
success and failure for whom. Yeah. And sometimes I, I love to find little adventures in games in which the player and the character are at odds in some way. I'm perfectly happy with a game in which characters fail frequently and players never. Mm-hmm. And Fiasco can be a game like that, for example. And mm-hmm. there are lots of other games or subject matter that can, that can accommodate that. I like horror games, for example, in which you're like, I want to I win with one hit point. I want to kill the monster mm-hmm. and have just one hit point left. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff where you're like, okay, so I took damage. Oh, how much did I take? Uh, you took nine. Yes, I still have two hit points yeah. <laughs> or whatever, right? And so the character is like, what are you kidding me? I only have two hit points. Stop. Mm-hmm. Shut up, player. And the player is like, this is going great. So the, what, one of the questions asked is like what detectives ask, which is who benefits. Yeah. And so that's the question of success and failures mm-hmm. because there should always be a, a benefit. If we consider benefit is a change is made, something mm-hmm. happens. Who does that belong something, to? Where does it go? Something happens that's, that's productive. Well, for somebody. Thank you for listening to the Design Games Podcast. This was a really great conversation, but sometimes our conversations go a little further afield. When that happens, we make them into backer-exclusive episodes, which only our Patreon backers get to hear. To hear these episodes for yourself, visit patreon.com slash ndpauletta or patreon.com slash wordwill. You can find all of our older episodes, as well as everything else Design Games Podcast related at designgamespodcast.com. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...